guys. Welcome to the Bada Boom Podcast. This is Chris. And I'm Troy. And we have a very special guest on today. If you've listened to the podcast, you know we've kind of made this a semi-DC Young Justice podcast on the side, mostly about like comics and stuff. But, you know, we kind of focus on uh, the YJ of things. And we have a very special guest, Chris Jones, storyboard artist, and also the artist on the current Young Justice Target comic. What's up, Chris? Hey, good to be with you guys. It's going, everything is good. Awesome. awesome. Everything's coming up Young Justice. <laughs> <laughs> We're super excited to have you, Chris. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, we both read Targets, came out uh, a week ago. I've been reading it, like, I think I've read it two or three times now and pouring over each little detail on it because it's the first thing we've kind of had after season four. Yeah. And se- season four had a big cliffhanger. So anything I can get after it, I'm like, what's happening? The the thing that's interesting about the comics, you know, Greg will talk about how it takes about three issues of a comic to equal the amount of story that you would get in like one episode of the TV show. So if you think of of you know a half hour TV show having acts, an issue of the comic is like one act of the show. So you know, I, I've heard some people say, "Oh, so is this miniseries like you know the equivalent of like a season?" Like, no, no, no. This is like a two-part episode. But that said, you know, you, you, comics read very differently. You can you can read it in your own time and dwell on all those little details and savor, you know, meanings and speculate where things are going. Whereas, you know, the show kind of just rushes by you and you have to rewatch it several times to pick out that kind of detail. So, but uh, it's exciting to be doing. Yeah. And for you, like you've been on both sides, you know, you originally wrote was the artist on the original comic and now being a storyboard artist and now continuing the story. Like what's it been like sort of when you first got, you know, into the young justice world and like, what's it like now? Well, there's the original, original comic, obviously, which is the, the series young justice that the, the TV show takes its name from. And obviously the, the show is not, as much a straight adaptation of that, as much as a little bit of that, a little bit of Teen Titans, and a little bit of just the rest of the DC universe. Mm-hmm. I, I had known Greg Wiseman already and had gotten a chance to work with him a couple times on little individual, like one-off projects. Uh, when I heard that he was going to have this new show coming out called Young Justice that he was doing with Brandon Vietti. And I had just come to the end of a run on another animated TV show tie-in comic called The Batman Strikes, which I'd been doing for about four and a half years at that point. And that series was coming to an end, uh, had come to an end. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I can pull the same trick that got me that job, which was before DC had even announced they were doing a tie-in comic, I found out who the editor was going to be and expressed my interest in drawing it and submitted samples and got chosen for the job. So I immediately started asking at DC, you know, hey, is there going to be a tie-in comic for this Young Justice show? I would love to work on that. And by the time I tracked down who the editor was going to be, they already had a creative team in place. But the artist that they originally went with ended up leaving the book to work on other things, which is why... I got the opportunity still to come on the book, but I didn't start until like issue five. And then I was the regular artist for the rest of the run. And I loved it. I I loved, I was a huge fan of the show, uh, which had already, I believe, aired its like two-part premiere 
by the time I started working on the comic. Uh, so I was already a fan of the TV show. Uh, working on the comic was great. I thought the stories we got to do were great. You know, I love Greg's writing. The whole take on the DC universe and its characters that Young Justice has is really close to the center of the strike zone for me and how I like seeing those characters portrayed. So it was just a really comfortable fit for me, and I had a great time doing it. Was sorry when it came to an end. So I was as thrilled as anyone when, after several years, the show came back with Young Justice Outsiders initially on on uh, DC Universe. And then um, I was at a convention with Greg Wiseman, and we were we went out to dinner one of the evenings of the convention. And I was talking to him about the fact that I was a little dissatisfied with the state of my comics career, that I was not being kept busy <laughs> as much as I would like, that I was having to constantly chase down what my next job was going to be and and said, you know, oh, if I had you know, tried, if I thought to make the move earlier or had the opportunity to make the move earlier, I might have been happy in animation, at, you know, but I was thinking it was probably a little late in the game to make that switch and go from being a seasoned professional in comics to a newbie uh, in animation, even though I'd had a little bit of semi-professional experience doing uh, storyboard work. And Greg said, well, you know, we're staffing up for season four right now. I don't think it would be as hard a transition as you seem to think it would be. If you're seriously interested, I mean, it would mean relocating to Los Angeles. But if you're seriously interested, uh, you should talk to Brandon. And, you know, maybe we can help set that up. And, you know, I had to go through a standard hiring process. I had to update a resume, which I hadn't done in a very long time because you don't use resumes a lot in the world of comic art. Long story short, I ended up getting the job, although two months after I got here and started was when COVID hit. So I went from working at the, uh, at the studio to being sent home to my apartment here in uh, Studio City. But, you know, got to keep working on the show, and that was a great experience. And now I'm doing the comic again. And, you know, after after working on the show, I, I just feel like I have an even more intimate familiarity with the material. I feel like, you know, with the years that have elapsed since I did the original run of the comic, my own art has grown and evolved. And it just it feels like getting to kind of do a victory lap. Um when you, when you are working on something like an animated TV show, and I was my title was storyboard revisionist, so sometimes I got to kind of have a clean slate and do storyboards from scratch, but more often than not, I was just modifying something someone else had already started to incorporate notes from the director or or the producers, Greg and Brandon. And you're, you're a voice in the choir. You're a cog in the machine. And it, it's a whole bunch of amazingly talented people surrounding you and supporting you. But, you know, no one can look at an episode of the show and go, oh, I can tell Chris worked on this. Like, no, it's just, it's, it's too, too many cooks, too, too watered down. Like I said, a voice in the chorus. Going back to doing the comic book is like getting a solo part again. It's like, oh, this you can see like that. That's my art. There it is. That's that's what I did, which is very satisfying. So it's been a great experience. It's kind of fun to get to loop back around to the role I had when I first started working on Young Justice. 
That's dope. It's cool because um, you definitely feel that like transition and that like that confidence going from, you know, the end of the season into straight into the comic. It does feel like it doesn't miss a beat. And I'm sure that, you know, speaks to kind of like the experience you had on the show. And then, you know, the years you've had with the characters. Um, it was really fun. I, I like, you know, especially with like some of the places this season took us. It was cool to have like, you know, a fun little adventure in that issue. And I'm sure it'll go in different directions as uh, as the series goes on. Well, yeah, and the, and the lead the lead time is so different working on animation than a comic. Uh, you know, a lot of people have speculated that the way the season ended was setting something up that was for the comic. You know, the, the season was written and pre-production was done, and it was shipped overseas for animation close to a year before we knew there was going to be a comic. So uh, certainly the things we're dealing with in the comic are things that come out of story ideas developed by Greg and Brandon that are part of the narrative continuity of where things would be going should we be fortunate enough to get another season of the show. But uh, yeah, comics, you can get a green light and have a book on the stands in four or five months. Whereas putting a a 26-episode season of action adventure animation together is at least a year and a half if not close to two years it's really a different beast (laughs) yeah it's funny because we've um another thing about the show which is interesting is um how long the show has been around even though we only have four seasons and you know two tie-in comic books has been around for for a decade so you know we've grown with those characters in a lot of ways Yeah, I I think they always intended there to be time skips that would let the characters age, but it's sort of weird that the way it has worked out, I mean, the biggest time skip the show has had were were between seasons one and two, which were the only two seasons that came out back to back. But if you look at it as, you know, the whole roughly 10-year span of the show, the characters have ended up aging more or less in real time. They're 10 years older now than they were when the show started a decade ago, which is kind of unique and kind of kind of cool. Yeah, we were talking about that in one of our episodes, and I realized that Aqualad in season four, I believe he says he's like 28, 29. And I'm like, dude, that's like exactly where we are. And some <laughs> of the stuff in season four is completely relatable to how I relate to some of my friends and just how like we haven't seen each other in so long. Sometimes that we just tell each other, hey, here's what I did for four months. And that's kind of how the arcs kind of played out in my head was like, here's catching up with someone for four months. And then another friend talks for, hey, here's what I did for four months. And that's kind of how why I really liked how season four was played out. I know a lot of fans just kind of wish the whole show was the original season one lineup of the team hanging out and going on adventures together. But I really think one of the defining characteristics of the show isn't just that, you know, the characters have gotten older, but you're seeing them move through different stages of their lives personally and, I guess, professionally, if you want to use that term, as they've gotten older. And and you're seeing them, you know, some are in the Justice League, some have left the the life of, of being a superhero, some have moved into different roles and stepped up into leadership. And, you know, the show is not, has never been about resetting to a status quo. It's always about things evolving and changing. But those characters who have known each other and have been friends and have been through so much since that first season 
have this bond. And it's like, it's like, you know, if you still lived in the same city as your best friends from school and the, you know, you get together and it's like, you know, all those connections are still there and those bonds are still deep and they're strong, but you're living your own lives. And that's, that's kind of what the show is about, which I, I think is really cool. And for you, like, you know, tying it back to the comic, you know, obviously you, you have a closer connection. Did you have like any input in terms of like the story with the comic or how did you bring your like touch to the story when it comes to the art? Uh, well, as far as what we're doing now, I, I would say it's mostly in bringing the visuals to the script. During the original run, as it went, we were more and more getting to where Greg and I would talk about what story we might do next which was fun to have that kind of input. But in the case of this, you know, we originally pitched this to DC as something that would actually precede season four that could come out in the run-up to when Phantoms would start, I guess airing isn't the right term, when it would go live on the streaming platform. And uh, they ended up wanting to do a version of it that would come out after, which on the one hand is really cool because that puts the, the comic book in the position of carrying the story forward. It's like, if you want to know what happens next, here it is. But it meant that some elements of the story that Greg originally wanted to do had to change because of where it falls in the personal timeline of the characters' lives. And DC also wanted to make sure that we did a story that featured as large a representation of the roster of characters as possible. So that impacted the version of the story that, that Greg wrote. If this does well enough that DC is interested in doing more comics, which we would obviously love to have happen, there's a lot of potential with the comic of doing stories that focus on smaller subsets of characters, stories that look backwards into the timeline. You know, fans are constantly wanting to know what went on in between seasons. And just in general, these characters have really rich histories and backstories that there's always more of those stories to tell than there is room to fit them into the given number of episodes you have in a season. And whereas the TV show really needs to be, I mean, not that you can't do a flashback or, or some kind of a story that reveals some history, by and large, the TV show needs to be moving forward. And the comic is really well positioned to be something that could look backwards. So we'll see what happens with future issues. For now, we're telling a story that is mainly set in, you know, about a month after the conclusion of the events of Young Justice Phantoms. Although, as you saw from the first issue, uh, we have these backups that are, they, they are memories. They are things that happened earlier in the lives of the characters that relate in different ways to the main story, but they're definitely little, little flashback vignettes of history. Yeah, those flashbacks was just a kind of like a jaw dropper for me. He's like, man, I never even thought about using this character in that way and bringing the whole kind of bow hunter squad into it was just like, oh, yes, because I really love Arsenal and I love Red Arrow in season one and two. And it was good to be like, all right, here's where they are now. And I'm just crazy excited for the next couple issues to come out. We, yeah, obviously, I'm not going to get into spoilers, but we've got some cool things coming up. There, there's some good surprises in there. Uh, we're going to see some characters that, that are not new to Young Justice, but haven't been seen for a while in Young Justice. 
and a couple characters that are existing DC Comics characters that will be making their first appearance in Young Justice. So all kinds of goodies in the, the remaining issues of uh, Young Justice targets. So what's funny, you know, we've kind of talked about it in, in other um, instances and just the, the podcast and our personal life kind of blend. <laughs> um, so it's like, did we talk about this on a podcast or did we talk about it just talking about it? But, you know, Greg has always shared about, you know, those like adjacent stories to Young yeah. Justice and the universe. Obviously, this one really ties into, you know, that Green Arrow short from years ago. I read it and I was like, oh, my God. And I was talking to Troy about it. I was like, oh, this is, you know, satisfies me in two ways where it's like it, it seems like it's a, it's a continuation of that but also you know as Troy said sort of bring in the bow hunters and uh, red arrow arsenal so what was it like to kind of like talk with Greg and, and bring that story to life well it's always fun getting to to draw threads together uh I know there's been a lot of talk about the whole canon or, or continuity adjacent stories uh, you know, especially with what the TV show did this season with uh, the the Green Lantern story and 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 Razor, you know, Greg talked about the uh, Catwoman Hunted animated movie that he recently wrote that has come out being adjacent to Young Justice uh, continuity. I think really what it all comes down to is just it's all compatible with a certain worldview of the DC universe and. If it didn't take place in something branded Young Justice, you don't know if it happened exactly that way in Young Justice continuity, but you can kind of assume something kind of sort of like that happened until it's contradicted. But yeah, it's definitely fun getting to, I mean, I, I love, I love uh, you know, Green Arrow and, and all of that family of characters. Uh, so it's been fun getting to... Uh, in, include them in the story we're doing, uh, regardless of you know what it ties to as far as uh, that specific animated short. Yeah, I mean it's it's all great. I you know anytime I get to deal with these characters, it feels like getting to play with all the cool toys. Uh, so I'm always delighted getting to draw these characters. Yeah. And question, you know, obviously this is going to be, you know, audio version, but we talked about it in our little chat. Like you have a Dr. Fate helmet behind you. Will we see Dr. Fate in the comic? Uh, well, I'm not going to talk about uh, who does or doesn't appear or who doesn't have no. a major. Right. We've, we've got a lot of characters popping up. Uh, you'll have to read to, to see who who all that includes. Yeah. And with, um, you know, what was cool about the DC, DC Infinite version of it is, you know, the backup story you talked about. Will yeah. the subsequent issues have backup stories as well? Yeah, um, that was a, a thing that uh, DC requested, that format of, uh, you know, the 20-page issue is a 15-page main story and then a five-page uh, backup. And it, so if you're getting it online... The, the the director's cut version, which uh, that makes it sound like it was something, you know, Greg chose to include or not include as the director's call. Like, no, no, DC's format, which is fine. But, uh, you know, that includes the five-page backup. But uh, when, the, when the print version comes out uh, a month later, that'll obviously have all, all 20 pages plus the you know, variant covers, which you've probably seen in the solicitations and, and I think are included in the digital version as well. So, yeah, I've, we're, I've we're seen some of the solicitations. Variant covers. Yeah. The, <laughs> the solicitations. Covers on the original run. 
I mean, there were some pretty dope covers and stuff. And there again, it it, it was cool. Um, you know, um, seeing Clayface again. You know, he had you know a pretty good uh, arc in the original um, tie-in comic, which I, I loved as one of my favorite like origin stories that Young Justice has done. Um, so that was cool. Fun to draw. <laughs> <laughs> He's just stupid fun to draw. Uh, aside from the fact that, you know, there's this freedom of he's constantly kind of morphing and shifting, so I don't have to worry about being too faithful to the uh, the character models from the show. Just the ridiculous stuff you can do with him. I mean, I love that shard of glass he takes to the eye in our first issue. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I'm Clayface, whatever. It's not a real eye. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a clay golem. What? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, he's great. He's a lot of fun. Speaking of season four, was there uh, like a favorite moment you had from season four? There was a lot of great times in it, uh, but what was your favorite one to kind of see or bring to be able to bring to life? Oh boy, it all becomes a bit of a blur after a while. Um, anyone who has ever extensively talked to DC Comics with me learns that one of my favorite characters is the Phantom Stranger. So I was delighted to see the Phantom Stranger come into the world of Young Justice, and I was over the moon with how he got portrayed on the show. So getting to do some sequences with him and being able to do, like, cool transitions where we go to a new location with, like, a flourish of the cape and all that stuff. Like, oh, yeah, super cool. Uh, and then we had Etrigan this season. But but as far as, like, not just new characters, I mean, oh, man, the whole, the, the whole story arc with... Uh, Tigress and Cheshire was one of my favorites. Yes, uh, yes. Really, I mean, there, are, there are things I loved about every arc of this season. It was really weirdly analogous to when I was doing the original tie-in comic run. That it was a that was a run that tended to be all two-part stories because Greg was trying to get something that felt like episodes of the show, and he originally wanted to do three-parters, and they said no, you can't do three-parters, and they compromised and he did two-parters. Mm. And every time I would just start to get a little tired, like, you know, with Artemis, every time I started to get a little tired of having to draw, you know, get the details on her bow right and do archery poses and all the stuff that goes with doing an Artemis story, we'd be on to the next story. And I'd have some other character that I got to draw that that was fun and exciting. So that's kind of how, you know, this, this, uh, this season felt like I thought the opening arc on Mars was a cool story and visually stunning, but I was starting to get just a little tired of drawing the Martians. And then, <laughs> and then we're into Artemis and Jade and then, you know, we get Atlantis and we get, it just, it was, it, I, I just had the best time. And we had a great time watching it. <laughs> this is when you ask me favorites, because I don't have one favorite. I have like, oh, I love this, and I love this, and I love this. Hey, we're the same way. That's why we have a podcast about it, because <laughs> it's something we talk about. Like, every now and then, I'll be like, hey, man, I was watching season three, and I saw this one little thing. Did you catch that? Did you see that? What do you think? you think we'll see this person in the future? There are so many, there are so many little, like, buried Easter eggs and bits of detail in Young Justice that people don't pick up on until they get to repeat viewings. I just saw a thread someone was talking online about, they had just noticed all of the, the, the 16 Easter eggs. And I'm like, Oh, Oh yeah. Once you notice those, then they're just everywhere and you can't not notice them. But if you 
don't know to look for them. They just kind of go over your head. But yeah, there's 16s constantly in the show. Yeah, it just becomes the number 23. You just like, once you see them, you're just like constantly looking yeah, yeah. for them. So. But you know, the, the other example I like to, to throw out there, and I feel like I can, I can say this because I know Brandon talked about it uh, publicly. You know, people finally saw this season on the show. We went to a Green Lantern base and it looked weirdly like the Watchtower. And the reason for that is in Young Justice continuity, you know, the Watchtower isn't something that, you know, Bruce Wayne funded and had built. It's a decommissioned Green Lantern base that one of the Earth Green Lanterns towed into Earth orbit for the Justice League to use as a headquarters. And if you look at that main meeting area outside of the three Zeta tube stations and like look at a downshot on the floor, there's a Green Lantern pattern like logo in the floor. I've got to go back and rewatch this now. (laughs) Yeah, but they don't ever go out of their way to point that out. It's just there. And you're like, oh, oh, that makes sense. But, you know, they don't say, hmm, I certainly love our headquarters, which formerly belonged to the Green Lantern. You know, it's it's not that kind of show. That's what's dope about the show. It's like, um, it does feel like, even though it's Young Justice, it really is the DC universe. Like, things just are. You know, they don't have to explain themselves with certain things. And there's so many little threads you could go down. You know, you see certain characters in the background, like Jonathan Kent or Damian Wayne or Jason Todd. Some stories are referred to. So it's it definitely lends itself to um, talking about it. And it's like such a big lore. You know, there's so many different places your comic could go, the show can go. That's why it's exciting. And, you know, hopefully we get more of that. Absolutely. Yeah. And Chris, we appreciate you so much for being on our podcast. We've had a great time nerding out talking about Young Justice, Targets. The first issue is great. We can't read. Can't wait to read the next. Yeah, imagine we can't read. Yeah, no, we can't wait. It's a picture book. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, but we seriously, we can't wait to read the the next six issues. Uh, We loved how season four wrapped up and we're excited to see where targets takes the rest of the characters that we've seen. And thank you so much for some of the little clues or like, we just got so much excitement now for what's going to come. So thank you so much. If you're listening for the first time, you can follow Bada Boom podcast on Spotify, Apple podcast, or wherever you listen. And you can talk to us about all things DC young justice on our Instagram, TikTok, uh, and hit us up on Twitter. We're always there for sure. And until next time, Bada Boom. Bada Boom. Bada Boom!